Welcome to the 211th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host for today, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a review of my weekend predictions, a look at the College World Series, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in MLB, and that's the only league I predicted this week. Uh, The Giants took two of three in their series from the Diamondbacks. The Dodgers took two of three from the Astros. The Braves took two of three from the Reds. And the Yankees took two of three from the Rangers. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about each of those series right now. So the Giants taking two of three from the Diamondbacks. That um, that was an interesting battle this weekend. Uh, The Diamondbacks coming into the weekend with a lead over the Dodgers and the Giants who were in Second and third place, I actually reversed the order. The, Dodger, the Giants in second place and the Dodgers in third place. Uh, but after the Giants swept the Dodgers last weekend. So the Giants having two very important divisional series over the last two weeks. And they're able to come out with the win in both of them. Uh, it started off on Friday with a win for the Giants. They actually won the first two games of this series. Uh, they won the game on Friday 8-5. to five, And then they won the game on Saturday 7-6. to six, I believe in comeback fashion. And then on Sunday... The Diamondbacks were able to take home a 5-2 win to avoid the sweep, uh, but overall they did forfeit a game in the standings to both the Dodgers and the Giants over the last week, which I'll talk in more uh, depth about later. Uh, speaking of the Dodgers, they took 2-3 of three from the Astros this weekend, so the Giants distancing themselves a little bit from the Dodgers with uh, with that result. Uh, or actually, no, they, bo- they both uh, stayed even with each other as a result of that. Dodgers just one game back in the win column, same amount of losses as the Giants. Uh, but the Dodgers played a good series to take this, uh, this one from the Astros. It was a hard-fought series on both sides. A lot of controversy around the balk. It was a balk. The balk rule is odd, but that, that, that was still a balk. I mean, the rule is just kind of a weird rule, and it seems to only get brought up when... It can cause controversy, I feel like. Not really. Um, and, you know, there's not really anybody familiar with the rule, you know, even, frankly, the umpires themselves, because it's just a confusing rule, honestly. Uh, but regardless, the Dodgers came back that they got a win because of that balk. A uh, three-run eighth inning that ended with a balk scoring a run after the Dodgers had a pinch-hit two-run home run from David Peralta. They were down... 7 to f- seven to 3 in that game. They scored the first three runs of the game, actually, in the first inning uh, on Saturday, but the Astros came back, uh, scored 7 unanswered in the 3rd and the 5th and the 6th, uh, including an Alex Bregman grand slam, until the Dodgers were able to get a pinch hit, two-run homer from David Peralta, and then in the 8th, a sacrifice fly from Jason Hayward and a ground rule double by James Outman to tie the game, and then that balk ended up winning the game. Uh, Friday's game, uh, a much much less exciting win, but a good start by Emmett Sheehan, the rookie against J.P. France, his rookie counterpart. Mookie Betts led off the game with a home run um, and then hit a sacrifice fly, so he had the only two Dodgers RBIs until the fourth inning. Uh, Dubon and Tucker went back-to-back for the Astros to tie it up at two, and then Dodgers got a double by Michael Bush to get a 3-2 to two lead. The Astros actually threw Miguel Rojas out at home to prevent another run from scoring, but that was enough for the Dodgers to win that game. And although I went in a little bit of reverse order, that still meant the Dodgers got the series victory. Uh, The Astros then came back on Sunday, make sure uh, they avoided the sweep. They were up, or excuse me, they were down uh, one to nothing in this game. 
And uh, Tony Gonsolin had a very uh, low-key first inning. But then, uh, after he had a solid first, uh, and Mookie Betts let off the game with a home run again for the Dodgers, uh, the Astros were able to get two two-run home runs, one in the second, one in the fourth. And uh, Gonsolin was yanked in the, after the fifth inning with the Dodgers losing 4-1. to one. And the Dodgers did not get another run after Mookie Betts' home run, leadoff home run, until Freddie Freeman collected his 2,000th hit of his career with an RBI double. And then Will Smith had a two-run home run to tie the game in the bottom of the eighth before the game would go to extras. Uh, both teams would score in the 10th. And then in the 11th, the Astros would get a single, an RBI single from Alex Bregman on a good read by Mauricio Dubon to score on that play. And then Dubon would rob Smith of an RBI single in the bottom of the inning while while the ground out still advanced the runner. The Dodgers did not advance the runner from third home. And as a result, it's really Mauricio Dubon who played a very good series this weekend, having a really underrated season, honestly, overall. Uh, but his contributions really helped the Astros, keyed them to that win. Alex Bregman big in the series as well, but that is how the Dodgers took two of three but did not sweep that series. And then Probably the most exciting series of the weekend, for sure. The Braves taking two of three from the Reds. I honestly can't do this justice by recapping it myself, but I will try my best. Um, It started off on Friday with the Reds winning 11-10 as Ellie De La Cruz hit for the cycle, which is crazy because he's only been playing for about two and a half weeks now. Only 15 games in, he already has a cycle. And then on the opposite end of the age spectrum, Joey Votto had a two-run, had a Sorry, a two-home run game, one three-run home run, one solo homer, uh, and his three-run home run gave the Reds a 9-7 to lead after they had started the game down 5 to nothing before even coming up to hit once. Uh, so just an insane game on Friday. And then actually the Braves didn't even, they didn't even stop there. The Reds were up 11-7, to and the Braves had three homers uh, in the eighth inning to keep it close, but the Reds were able to close it down. Alexis Diaz coming in for that. A lot of pitchers used on both sides. Uh, the Bra- the Reds used seven pitchers, and I think the Braves also used seven. Or no, the Braves used actually five pitchers, but still, a lot of pitchers used on both sides. And that didn't bode well for the rest of the weekend. Both games, though, for the rest of the weekend were seven to six Braves wins. Uh, the start for the Braves on Saturday was made by Jared Schuster, a prospect. He gave up four runs, but this lineup for the Reds has been clicking for a while now. Uh, and outside of him, the Braves' bullpen came in and shut it down. None of them gave up runs until Rysel Iglesias came in in the ninth inning, but the Braves were already leading by four, or sorry, by three. Uh, he gave up back-to-back home runs, but he was still able to escape uh, with the win, or with the save, actually, so lucky for him um, that the Reds did go back-to-back. They did make this game very, very close, but uh, despite the eight home runs combined, the Braves escape with the 7-6 win, and then the same thing happened on Sunday. This time, though, Rysel Iglesias with the scoreless save, the clean save, uh, as the Braves were able to motor along to the victory. Uh, big key in this one was Matt Olson's three-run home run in the sixth that broke a 3-3 tie. And by the way, this weekend, Matt Olson was on fire. He's now leading the league in home runs, which is, I mean, he, he's having a great season. He should be and I'll start with his counterpart in L.A., Freddie Freeman, in the same way that both Sean Murphy and Will Smith, who I talked about a lot in the Dodgers series, should both be All-Stars. That should be pretty simple for the fans and for MLB to figure out who's the catcher, who's the starting catcher, who's the backup, who's the starting first baseman. should be pretty simple. Although, honestly, I think you can actually 
debate the order a lot at this point. Freddie Freeman in a recent slump. His OPS is kind of declining, and you got Matt Olson now leading the league in homers um, with an 890 OPS. So there's there's a real debate to be had there that I honestly wasn't a debate a few weeks ago, uh, but at this point now it might be. I mean, we'll see if we'll see how Freddie Freeman closes out uh, the rest of this uh, first half. But right now, sitting at a 946 OPS, still many points, still what 56 points higher than Olson's, but still both very good players. And then probably the surprise of the weekend. No, this has gone on a little long, so I'll wrap this up quickly. The Yankees took two or three from the Rangers, got a three-run eighth inning when it looked like they were kind of dead in the water on Sunday, and that was able to key the series victory for them. Uh, they won the Friday game, or sorry, they lost the Friday game four to two in extras, uh, and then on Saturday it was a Billy McKinney solo homer and throwing a guy out at home uh, that actually ended this series for the Yankees. They were able to, or ended that game for the Yankees, excuse me, as they got a one-out, one-nothing shutout, um, and then they won that game on Sunday, five to three to take the series. But that is it for my weekend predictions. Uh, I will move on from those and start talking about the College World Series. In our last podcast, we talked about the Thursday and Friday games in the perspective of my predictions, but did not talk about them uh, overall. So I'll go to Sunday, uh, even though. We had recorded after those games were over. We did not talk about them at all. Uh, number two, Florida beat Oral Roberts 5-4. to four. Still in the double elimination rounds as Oral Roberts won their first game against TCU. Uh, Florida going pretty solid throughout the College World Series, as we know. Uh, got a good start from Waldrop in this game. He gave up three earned, or sorry, one earned run uh, in his six innings. Uh, Oral Roberts starter gave up five earned runs. As Florida didn't score after the fourth inning, and Oral Roberts made it interesting, but they did have a 5-1 to one lead after the fourth, and Oral Roberts could not quite cut into the lead enough, although they did have an inside-the-park two-run home run, which is something that you don't see very often. Uh, but then, after Florida got their victory, TCU eliminated Virginia uh, by winning 4-3. to three. Virginia, the first team to leave the College World Series, after I had mentioned them as a dark horse, they unfortunately got the tough draw of playing Florida, uh, weren't able to live up to that challenge, and then TCU, they weren't going to go out without a fight, and they went out with a pretty good fight. They beat Virginia and moved on to get one extra game uh, and actually earned the right to get their revenge against Oral Roberts later on if they could capitalize on that opportunity uh, as Oral Roberts lost the 1-0 game and became a and got put into the 1-1 game that would happen on Tuesday. I will talk about that in a second. But then on Monday, it was number one Wake Forest who beat number five LSU three to two. One that was a 1-0 game as LSU had already gotten their victory over Tennessee in the first round, and Tennessee beat number eight Stanford to eliminate them from it. So two national seeds going down at the hands of unseeded teams. Uh, meanwhile. All this time, you had uh, Wake Forest and Florida now going into the 2-0 slot, meaning that it would be them who were controlling their own destiny to get into the College World Series Finals. It would be one of the other four teams that hadn't been eliminated by this time uh, that would have to go through one of those teams and beat them twice to make it to the College World Series Finals, and we will talk about that in a second. But Tennessee beat number 8 Stanford, as I said, that elimination there. Tennessee just... Chugging along throughout the playoffs last year, obviously, they were the number one team through most of the year, and they didn't even make it out of the Super Regionals. But this year, with, you know, a, a worse roster on paper, but maybe a kind of better team cohesion and a little more fight in them, 
you know, they've kind of come in as the underdog and they were able to do some pretty good things here in the College World Series. And then, after avoiding elimination, set up two rematches on Tuesday. The one-and-one games between LSU and Tennessee uh, and TCU and Oral Roberts. LSU, they beat Tennessee earlier in the tournament and they were able to do it again. They won 5 to nothing on Tuesday to advance to the, I guess, technically the semifinals, although it's technically not that because... It is, after all, uh, a win two and you're in for LSU, but a win one and you're in for Wake Forest. And then TCU beat Oral Roberts, getting their revenge for their first round loss. They won that game six to one, and that was able to propel them to that Wednesday game where LSU was able to take down number one Wake Forest, who hadn't lost in a very long time, uh, hadn't lost in the tournament at all, actually. And they forced that extra game with Wake Forest. Uh, But then number two Florida beat TCU, that meant TC was eliminated and Florida was walking into the finals with a 3-0 record and uh, just waiting and sitting around for the weekend to wait until Saturday when the College World Series would start its final round. But before that happened, LSU and Wake Forest would play a very long, drawn-out 2 to nothing victory for number 5 LSU, handing Wake Forest their 12th loss of the season but it should be mentioned that Wake Forest coming into this series, or this little mini-series that ended up playing out with LSU, had 10 losses on the year. And after every single one of those 10 losses, they won the next game. They were 10-0 following losses this year, had not lost a series. But LSU able to become the first team to take back-to-back games from Wake Forest. And they do it at the most important time of the year and advance to the College World Series final, where they would take the first game from Florida Four to three in the eleventh inning. Tommy White with a homer to tie up the game after his homer was the one that walked it off against Wake Forest uh, to advance to this round. And then Cade Beloso with a homer to uh, beat Florida in the eleventh inning. Well, he didn't directly beat them, obviously, um, but it was the home run in the top of the eleventh. And then Florida did not equalize in the bottom of the eleventh. But a very fun game in this one. Seventeen hits combined. Uh, Not able to push too many runs across, but the problem of not too many runs scored would be solved on Sunday when number two Florida would win 24-4 to force a game three in this championship series. Uh, I mean, this is just, this series has been amazing. I mean, yes, Florida did crush LSU on Sunday, but I'm really excited for tonight's uh, final. Uh, If I were to give a prediction... I don't know who I would pick, to be quite honest. I mean, it really depends on who's on the mound. I think if you have schemes going for LSU, I would favor them. Um, And I think that is what's going to happen. So my unofficial kind of official pick is Paul Skeens and LSU are able to get the victory and win the national championship over Florida. But I don't know if he's going to be starting. I don't know where to find probables um, for College World Series games, to be honest, unfortunately, because it's not covered that well. Um, by national media, in in all honesty. Wish it was covered better, but tends to happen with any non-football or basketball um, college sports, and that's just kind of the way it is, but doesn't mean we still love watching them. Same thing with softball, should get more coverage as well. Uh, didn't fit in quite with our timing with NHL and NBA playoffs going on, but I wish I could have said a lot about that because I actually paid more attention to the Women's College World Series and the Men's College World Series, I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, and over in, in terms of the whole tournament, definitely more uh, attention paid to the Women's College World Series and the Women's Tournament in general. But 
That will be all for the College World Series talk for now. Now we will move on, still staying with baseball, obviously. It is the sport of the summer after all. And go to our weekly review of MLB, starting, as always, in the American League East, where the Tampa Bay Rays are still at the top, 54-27. and 27. Right behind them, the Baltimore Orioles, who are four and a half games back. Although, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that the Orioles didn't make up some ground this week. They had a good start to their series with the Rays, but just not able to capitalize on that start to the series. Um, they did lose the second game. It was just a mini-series, but overall, they traded those two games, which means that they didn't make up any ground, and in the end, they lost a half a game of progress. And then you have the Yankees, who have gotten back into third place, which is a good start for them. Still don't have Aaron Judge back. Don't know when he will be back. Uh, but still the Yankees kind of treading water without him. Well, they haven't been treading water, but they're starting to do that a little bit, which is a good sign. Uh, they're still 4-6 and six in their last 10, though. But taking 2-3 of three from the Rangers is no small feat. The second-best record in the American League. It proves that the Yankees can still compete with the cream of the crop in the AL, despite not having Aaron Judge. And then you have the Toronto Blue Jays. They are 43-36, and 36, one game back in the loss column of the 43-35 and 35 Yankees. Um, Ten games back of the Rays, though, overall. Looks like it's really becoming a two-horse race between the Orioles and the Rays there. I don't, know if, I don't know if anybody can catch them on that pace. It's just, they're just way ahead. Um, although there is still some time left. The Rays obviously challenged the Yankees last year for the division after the Yankees had a huge lead. Um, and Tampa Bay was able to eventually close it down a little bit, but I think they only got as close as three or four games, and then the Yankees pushed it back out on them. Uh, but look, the Blue Jays probably not going to close that gap either, but both of these teams looking towards the wild card. Uh, we will see what happens with Alec Manoa in his little rehab stint, whatever you want to call it, his his fix-everything stint down in the minors. I don't know what the correct term for that is, but whatever he's doing right now, we'll see if he can figure it out. Uh, and get back to the MLB before the end of the season, and we'll see if that affects the Blue Jays. But for now, sitting 10 games back, but still in a good position. Um, in the wild card chase, they are in the third wild card, just a half a game above Houston as things stand today. And then in the bottom of this division, you have the Boston Red Sox, who are only three games back of the Blue Jays for that final wild card spot. Uh, but just a game above 500, it's probably not going to cut it in the American League. It maybe would cut it in the National League, but, you know, that would still put you behind the Dodgers by a significant amount. Uh, but, you know, the AL is pretty deep. Um, the National League is pretty much six teams deep in terms of very, very good teams, and then there are a lot of teams with a lot of talent under it. But the American League, it, it really feels like this league is going eight or nine teams deep, depending on if you want to include Boston or Seattle in the, as the ninth team. I think at least you got to look at the Angels as a team that should be a playoff team. Uh, but not quite with this current format. Obviously, I don't want them to expand anymore. I think six teams is enough, um, honestly. But, and it keeps the spirit of baseball being the toughest playoffs to get into alive. Uh, but at the same time, the Angels and the Astros both on the outside looking in right now, which is hard to comprehend, but all three American League East teams from second to fourth are in the three wildcard spots. When they play each other more in the division, That'll start to even out. I don't think that's going to hold for the whole season. I think ju just the math just doesn't work with that work out that way. But at the same time, right behind those three are all American League East and West teams with Boston in the middle of Houston, uh, the Angels, and then Boston in third of that little mini group, and then Seattle. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there because those teams in the AL West could also beat each other up and kind of negate the impact of the AL East fighting it out. So 
it'll be very interesting to watch as the season goes on. Uh, I know it's too early to talk about the wild card, but we are almost halfway through the season, so maybe it's okay to start talking about it. I don't know. I think it's still, in my opinion, it's too early. But <laughs> I'm the one talking about it, though, so maybe I don't think it's too early. It's it's a little early to talk about it seriously. It, it's late enough that you can think about it and look at it in your little peripheral vision there. Uh, but then in the AL Central, it's the Minnesota Twins. They are 43, 40 and 39, excuse me. Uh, they have won four of their last six, but they're still five and five in their last ten. But the Guardians aren't too far behind anymore. They're 37 and 40, two games back, despite having that pretty bad record um, on the season. They're starting to figure things out though with their pitching staff. As soon as they get healthy, I believe that they will be able to do pretty good things this season. Uh, but they're six and four in their last ten games. And then you have the Detroit Tigers, who are 33 and 43. They're five and a half games back. Six and four in their last ten. Honestly, pretty solid for the expectations that we have for this team, which are very, very low. Um, but overall, this division, you're just never going to be out of it. They're ten games under 500, but only five and a half games out of the division lead, which is crazy when you look at a team like the Padres, who are just four games under 500, but they're ten games out of the league, or, or nine and a half games out of the lead in the National League West. So it's just crazy how that works out. But the Central, not a very strong division. And then you have the White Sox. They are 34-45 and 45 on the season. Six games back, just a half game back of the Tigers. They've won two in a row, but they are 4-6 and six in their last 10. Uh, they did take the end of the series against the Red Sox and actually claim that whole series overall. But then you have the Royals at the bottom of this division, as they have been for a while, and as they will stay probably. 22-56 and 56 on the season, 17 and a half games back. They, they just don't have the talent to compete. Um, even in a weak division. They're just a young team. They're on the up and up, but frankly, they're not really on the up and up because this season they were actually supposed to take a little bit of a step forward and really feels like they've taken a step back, which is not great, not ideal if you're a Royals fan, but I think they'll be better in the future. They do have a lot of talent, a lot of prospect capital, and they should be adding more this trade deadline because of the fact that they've been able to get some production out of, first of all, Scott Barlow, and second of all, Aroldis Chapman, um, who was a little, a little little budget signing there, but has ended up being a pretty good player over the course of the year. So it's not it, they will get some prospects out of him from a good team. Maybe the Dodgers will see. There are a lot of teams that need bullpen help. Everybody always needs bullpen help um, come the trade deadline. So we'll have to see what happens there with the Royals. But then let's move on to the AL West. I talked about the wild card with this uh, division a little bit earlier. So not much to talk about there. Uh, but at the top of the division, the division you still have the Texas Rangers at 47 and 30 on the year. The Astros are behind them at 42 and 36. They are five and a half games back overall. Uh, but that, I mean, it's surprising. I think that the Angels, when they score 24 runs in a game, should probably come out with the series victory. But no, they lose the series against Colorado, who is one of the worst teams in the league. So just a very surprising result there over the weekend. But still, the Angels, because of that result, um, not able to make up any ground on the Astros and still staying behind them despite the Astros losing their weekend series. Uh, but then you have the Mariners. They are 37-39, and 9.5 games back of the lead. And then the A's at the bottom of this division, of course, at 20-60. and 60. They have lost 9 of their last 10 and the last 2 in a row. Uh, but overall in this division... You got a few good teams at the top, obviously, with the Astros and the Angels just behind the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers, obviously, a very good team as well, but 
The Astros and the Angels, very important in that wild card discussion that maybe is a little too early to have, as I've been talking about. But for now, I will start having it. But yes, I've talked about those contributions and where everybody is in the American League, so I will move on now, start talking about the National League. And starting in the East, where we have the Braves, who are 50-27, and 27. they have won 9 of their last 10, doing very well overall. Um, obviously, the best record in the National League just took that series from the division-leading Reds over the weekend. Behind them, you have the Miami Marlins, who are 45-34, and 34, um, and now they are starting to really kind of kick it into high gear. Uh, they have been on a tear recently, and just overall playing very, very well. They're now up to the top wild card spot over the Giants and over the Dodgers, and six games back of the Braves overall, seven and three in their last ten. And then in third place in this division, you have the Philadelphia Phillies. They're forty and thirty-seven on the season. They got the weekend series over the Mets, who played very, very sloppy. I mean, I think you could use a lot of different adjectives to des- to describe their play, and none of them would be positive at all, but. I think sloppy is probably the best way you can describe it. It just wasn't a good weekend for the Mets. But the Phillies, they've been playing well recently. They're 7-3 in their last 10. If they continue to play how they've been playing recently, I think they'll probably trend towards being a playoff team, and they'll make it really close in terms of the race between them and teams like whoever comes in second and probably third in the NL West. Don't know who that's going to be yet, but, you know, between the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Dodgers, whoever kind of has a rough second half, and then also the Marlins themselves could, you know, fall off the table a little bit. It's really interesting to see what they're going to do with the team. I don't know if they're going to be buyers. They're definitely not going to be sellers, but don't quite know what that strategy is for them. Um, and then the Mets, on the other hand, they're just going to be one of the most disappointing teams of all time, and there's really no way around that. You can't really sugarcoat it. There's no there's no way to cut around it. I mean, they're, they're, they have one of the highest payrolls of all time. They have maybe the highest payroll this year, I think, uh, in MLB, and they are under 500 by by seven games. And really, the Padres would also be in that conversation had the Mets not come along and done the same thing in the same year. Uh, But they're also pretty disappointing. But the fact of the matter is, the Mets are as close to the Phillies as they are to the Nationals in last, and both of those positions are double digits behind the Atlanta Braves. So they're nowhere close to where they should be they're nowhere close to where they were last year. It really just feels like it's been a downward spiral ever since they lost that series to the Padres in the wild card round last year. Uh, but speaking of the Nationals, they're 30 and 47 in last place, as I said, a 390 win percent on the year. They are just one game, a little bit better than the Rockies, um, who had their own fair share of struggles this weekend that I'll talk about in a second. But before we go there, you got to go to the team that was the hottest team in baseball for a while. You could still make that argument. I mean, I think the team that beat them over the weekend definitely deserves that claim for themselves. But the Cincinnati Reds beat the Atlanta Braves. Or sorry, the Cincinnati Reds played the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the Reds were on a 12-game winning streak after winning the first game of the series. The Braves took the next two, but obviously still the Reds 8-2 and two in their last 10. Just coming off that big win streak and still in first place in the Central after climbing from, I think, third place at the start of that streak all the way up to first. Uh, The Brewers are a half game back of them. They took an extra innings game to gain some ground on the Reds. They took that game from the Guardians and took the series as well. They're 6-4 in their last 10. And then the Chicago Cubs are 37-39. That is what they are at right now. They had a rough game in London. 
but they still have been good overall on the year. Um, and really, just recently, they've been able to kind of pull it together. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10, and that is how they have kind of come back to rally a little bit, made this division a little bit close. I mean, the division is wide open after all. It looks like Cincinnati is, I would say, my favorite right now to win this division, but the Brewers overall, more of a playoff-built roster, obviously. The Reds just have a lot of prospects, and I don't know what they're going to do with their pitching staff, but they need to find some improvements other than Andrew Abbott, who has come up as a prospect and has been amazing. Really, really inconsistent contributions throughout um, that Cincinnati pitching staff. Uh, And their bullpen has been good as well, but recently, even during the winning streak, has caused some angst in some of their comeback victories and some of the victories that they've had where they've been up there. Bullpen has made it close, so not the most ideal. I don't really think they're too much of a threat in terms of a World Series quality team. But if they get hot again in the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see what they can do with that. Uh, but then in third place, as I said, we've been talking about it, the Cubs. They're still only three games back. It's a wide-open division. And they have just as much talent on paper as the Reds do, to be honest. And close enough to the Brewers as well, if they're guys that they have made kind of minor-ish signings for, like Bellinger and Mancini, can kind of play up to the level that some of the better players on the Brewers can, then I really think that the Cubs could actually show up and win this division. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. Um, They're right up there with the Brewers and the Reds for me. It's a very close race between those three. Uh, And then you have the Pittsburgh Pirates, who now have the same record as the Mets. They're five and a half games back. They are one and nine in their last ten after dropping a series to the Marlins. Uh, 35 and 42, the same record as the Mets, as I said. They just haven't pulled it together. I mean, they were they were going so well at the beginning of the season, but really, I think they started off nineteen and seven or nineteen and eight, something like that. And since then, they've just kind of been in a nonstop uh, down tilt. And really, just because of that, they've kind of taken themselves out of the division race. Unfortunately, a very fun team to watch at the beginning of the year, but recently not so much. And then you have the St. Louis Cardinals at the bottom of the division, thirty-two and forty-five on the year. Eight and a half games back, they are five and five in their last ten. Playing five hundred over their last ten games is a good sign that they're moving in the right direction. But thirteen games under five hundred, nearly halfway through the season. I mean, the All Star break is in two weeks, and they're still thirteen games under. So I don't think that moving in the right direction is still enough. They're lucky to be eight and a half games back in this division. I mean, as we see, the Phillies are ten games back, and they're above five hundred in their division. So. It could be a lot worse for the Cardinals. They're lucky with the division they play in that they still have a chance to even be in a playoff conversation. They're still way out of it right now, but the fact of the matter is this is the roster that at least has the best hitting in the division. I don't know about their pitching staff at all. It's been pretty bad all year long, so maybe definitely not the best pitching staff, and maybe you could say not the best overall roster considering how Cincinnati's prospects have come up and played because now their lineup has gotten really scary as well. Uh, But... That's all I got for the NL Central. I will move on to the final division that we will talk about on this podcast. It's the NL West, as always, starting with the Arizona Diamondbacks at the top, 47-32. Didn't think I'd be saying this about them at this point in the year. I think I'd talk about them in playoff contention, but I didn't expect them to be in first, definitely not, and I definitely didn't expect that the second-place team would be the San Francisco Giants. I kind of disrespected them early on in the season, said that, you know, even even if they got hot at certain points in the year, it's still just a decent roster at best, and it wouldn't be a playoff roster. But I'll admit that I think I was wrong about that at this point. I, I still don't think they're a lock for the playoffs. We still have the Phillies with a lot of talent. If the Cubs and the Reds start to ki- or continue to play how they've been playing recently, 
then they will be probably taking up two wild two playoff spots, one in the wild card and one is the winner of the division. And then you have teams like the Dodgers that are still behind the Giants uh, with, frankly, better rosters on paper. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then you have teams, teams like the Marlins that are kind of shocker teams like the Giants. Uh, and you just have to, we'll just have to see how that turns out at the end of the season. It'll be really interesting to watch. But I, I think that the Giants, honestly, I, I have more belief in them. I'll say this. Between the Giants and the Marlins, let's say, I think I have more confidence in the Giants keeping it up than I do in the Marlins, honestly. And the Marlins have a great roster and really good pitching as well. But I just do have that confidence in the Giants because they did have that 2021 season. You know, even if 107 wins is somehow slightly, I can't say it was a fluke, but a little bit fluky, they still are not a team that should be, you know, under 500 by many games the year after. And, and you know, I, I think where they should be is somewhere in between that 107 win mark and that 80 or 90 or that 70 or 80-ish win mark that they were in last season, which puts you at around 90, 95-ish wins. And I really feel like this team is probably going to get to that, maybe 88, 90, somewhere in that range. And I think that's about right for this team kind of averaging out those two the two really bad the two seasons back to back that were one really bad and one really really good um but I didn't think they were gonna be that coming into the season but now it seems like they really are somewhere in between the 2021 and 2022 team uh and they're not it's not just that 2021 was a fluke or that 2022 was who they are or that 2022 was a fluke it really feels like they're somewhere in between uh, and that win percentage right now, that 564 win percentage, if you look at the pace of that, that would give you um, 91 wins over the course of the year. So maybe they can get on that pace. We'll see if they can stay there. But then you have the Dodgers behind them. Play, They've played better recently. They're only 5-5 five and five in their last 10, despite the fact that they had won four in a row before the last game of the Astros series. Just goes to show you how much struggling L.A. was doing in early or mid, the middle of June uh, with that sweep at the hands of the Giants. But... Fact of the matter is, the Dodgers look to be kind of getting it together at the right time. They've gotten some more consistent run support. Uh, they only had two runs in both games of the Angels series, but the bullpen was better, so they were able to hold those leads. Same thing in the Friday night win over the Astros where they got three runs. And then on Saturday, they got eight, and on Sunday, they got four in regulation innings and then one in extras. So it really feels like this series in cores is going to be pretty important to gauge where the Dodgers are going forward. And after the All-Star break, they're going to get Max Muncy back, supposedly, or he's at least supposed to, he, he's scheduled to come off the IL um, tomorrow for that game in Colorado. So that'll be an interesting thing to see when he gets back in the lineup, if the Dodgers can get some more consistent run support, some more consistent production from the middle of the order than they've been getting in the past. But James Altman and David Peralta have kind of rebounded from slumps to start playing really well recently. And then obviously that top three of Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Will Smith is always going to be there and contribute, although even Freddie has had a recent slump a little bit. So we'll see if the Dodgers are able to kind of pull it together, get some really strong numbers that they put up in cores, and then carry that forward into the rest of the end of the first half. Kershaw's going for them on Tuesday, so massive favorites in that game if you're a betting person. Uh, but we'll see what happens with the Dodgers there. It does feel like they're getting right at the right time. And then also you consider that I really think how they played against the Angels and the Astros is honestly surprising that they are able to take four or five from the top two in the AL West, or, or sorry, the second and third place teams 
in the AL West. I'm so used to the Astros being in first all the time that I forgot about the Rangers for a second. But the fact of the matter is the Dodgers played okay against those two teams and got four or five. If they play okay against the Rockies and the Royals, they should be able to take, frankly, maybe all of those games at that point, at least five of the six, if they just play the same they were playing against the Angels and the Astros, and I think they can actually play better. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Their divisional counterparts in the Diamondbacks have a little bit of a tougher schedule. They are starting a series with the Tampa Bay Rays, obviously the best team in baseball by record. So that three-game series is going to be pretty interesting. I think both the Dodgers and the Giants should be looking forward to that and seeing if they can make up some games on the Diamondbacks, who then play the Angels after that. So two tough series for the Diamondbacks in a row. While the Giants, though, they go east and they play the Blue Jays. So that is a pretty tough series for them as well. Um, and then they play the Mets, so that's a little bit of an easier one there. But, you know, the Dodgers, the Giants, basically, I would say, both looking to make up games on the Rays this week. Giants are going to have a little bit of a tougher time playing against the Blue Jays, but the Dodgers against the Rockies and the Royals should have a pretty easy time getting some wins and just hoping that the Rays and the Angels can put up a fight against the Diamondbacks and help them get back into the race. But the fact of the matter is both teams made up a game over the last week. The Giants are now two and a half back, Dodgers are three back, and I'll move on to the bottom of the division where the Padres, as I mentioned earlier, uh, are 37-41, four games under 500, nine and a half games back in the division. And then at the bottom, you have the Rockies, the worst team in the National League at 31-49. and They lost a game by 24, but somehow won the series. That's the Angels for you. Uh, they are 16 and a half games back in the division with the worst run differential in the National League. Uh, one run worse than the Royals after that 24-run loss to uh, the Angels, but still better in terms of run differential than the A's. No surprise there because, well, we know how rough the A's are. But the Rockies just have been really disappointing with how bad, honestly, that they've been running their team. I won't actually blame it on the players. It's really the organization that deserves the blame for selling when they were not necessarily contenders, but at least fringe a fringe playoff team. And, you know, if you're going to do that, you kind of have to come back soon and get some good baseball going, but they just haven't done that. So they deserve a lot of blame for that. And it's just really unfortunate what's going on in Colorado when they can't compete in a division like this unless they're really good anyway. But to see them at least get to be an okay team, even at the level of, like, the Nationals, who aren't even that good. They're, well, okay, never mind. The Nationals are barely better than them by a few percentage points. But maybe, you know, the level, they're not going to get to the level of the Mets because the the Mets are just a, a slumping team with a lot of talent on it. But, you know, the Marlins have competed with a roster that's less than, in terms of payroll, the other rosters in their division. So I don't see why the Rockies can't, do a little bit better of being just at least a little bit competitive. Like, it feels like, you know, the Cardinals aren't at least a pushover at all times you play them. There aren't many pushovers this year, but it feels like the Rockies are one of them, and that's not where that organization should be. They have a very loyal fan base that deserves better. Um, But that's all I got for this week. That wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, July 3rd. Yes, it's July already. That's crazy to me where we will recap my weekend predictions and have our weekly look at MLB, potentially some other things as well. I don't know if Wimbledon is starting by that point, but if it is, we will be talking about it. Um, In the meantime, and maybe some free agency news in the NBA too as well. Didn't cover the draft either, but maybe talk about some of that stuff next week. We'll see. But in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted as always on Thursday. 
and my MLB Power Rankings that are updated every Wednesday. All of that on our website, 4th24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.